0: Good morning, everybody. It's, pardon me. It's Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show, on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. As I said at the top of the hour, we have with us three council presidents in, in the studio First District Councilman Z Cohen, Second District Councilman Brandon Scott, and Ninth District Councilman John Bullock. Gentlemen, good to have you on the studio. Hey, great to be, here. Good to be here. We want you all to join us here at 410 319 8888. Write to us here, talk at steinershow.org by email. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner. Uh, uh, but do join in. Um, we want to hear your thoughts. So, we saw the battle on city council over the budget, and we're going to look at that. Our city, in some way, our city, and we all love this city, and there's a lot of beautiful, wonderful things about the city that we live in. Um, but, there are a lot of questions to be asked. There was a budget put in by the mayor. The, the council does not have the right to change that budget or to reinvest the money other places. They can only cut from the budget, which is what many people in the council attempted to do in order to force the mayor to change the nature of the budget. Not a dime was cut from the police. Matter of fact, they got maybe $16 million more, uh, whatever that number is. We'll talk about that in the surplus. Um, it restored funding of $2.58 million to schools and $1.5 million to safe streets, but that's restored, not add to. Uh, and we'll talk about that. We have uh, had a number of murders this week. It's how many murders this week? We had six, at least six murders since Monday. Um, the uh, the murder rate in the city has uh, gone through the roof. Uh, police are now on twelve hour shifts, but they're not doing. But they whatever it is, there's no strategy there to end this violence in our communities, short term or long term. Um, homicides so far are up over forty percent. Carjackings are up by thirty five percent. Street robberies, 15 percent, burglaries, 17 percent, and total shootings up 7 percent from 2016. Um, So the city is in a crisis. I think we're in a crisis in our schools, and we're in a crisis in our community, our poorest communities, and we're in a crisis of violence. And what do we do about it? And let's get into that. Are you all satisfied with how this vote came out with this budget? Yes. You I are you satisfied?
1: I think that this vote in the budget, in my opinion— This is Brandon Scott, by the way. Is the, is, and thanks for having me, sir, and thanks for your, good years, to have you. your years of service. I think that this the vote on this budget uh, sends a clear message to the administration that operating the same way we have for many years is not going to happen anymore, and this is just the first budget. And I expect that moving forward you'll see more changes— uh, when you have a unified council. And I think that is the most important part, that no one, not one person on the council was against what we were trying to do. Everyone. What does that mean, what we were trying at, to do? every Trying to put these programs that we know save lives above everything, above our own districts, above our own personal priorities. That is something that doesn't typically happen in politics. And even though throughout that process, you heard some of us saying, like for me, I was saying that we shouldn't be talking about just maintaining safe streets as it is. We should be talking about expanding sites, having more sites. We shouldn't be talking about doing things as it is. We should be expanding it. But we had to have a starting point. And I think that this budget was a starting point for everyone to see that we can, we're can we going to operate differently and that things are no longer going to be the same. I'm never going to be satisfied with anything until Baltimore is at the best place it can be. But I am satisfied with the way that this particular process went down.
0: Yeah. So does everybody feel the same way you're satisfied with this? So,
2: so this is John Bullock, and I do agree with uh, my colleague, uh, Brandon Scott. Uh, I will say this is not a perfect process. The outcome is not perfect. At the same time, what we saw was that the council uh, stood unified in terms of its uh, priorities. So uh, Councilman Scott rep- uh, rec- uh, recognized the safe streets was something that was really uh, important for our city to invest in, looking at what the health department was doing. And even if you think about what just recently happened um, to uh, to Greg Cilia, who actually you know works in in the health department and works some of this
0: beating up in the street and had his wallet and cell phone taken.
2: Right. We're talking about you know some of our young people, and that's a that's a real challenge. The other part, and you know, uh, and I know Councilman uh, Cohen will speak to this as well. You know, our investment in our schools and after school programs that was a real uh, uh, battle cry, not only from the community, youth organizers, educators, and others who were beating down our doors, and we really shared uh, their <laughs> sentiments. I know that there is a concern about the amount of money uh, going toward uh, the police we did have uh, part of a conversation about uh, potential reductions not only for the police but other other agencies at the end of the day uh, we were able to make some, uh, some compromises in terms of the, some of the mayor's priorities Quite frankly, you know, we are in a state of emergency uh, with the city, and it's quite difficult to then reduce uh, some of the investments in police, especially given the consent decree and some of the other challenges that we're dealing with at this point. So I understand, you know, some of the, some of the critiques, but at the same time, uh, we work to come up with a compromise.
3: So what I would add, this is uh, Councilman Zeke Cohen, uh, to what my colleague Councilman Bullock was saying Uh, As it relates to uh, specifically the community schools and after-school funding, it was about $2.58 million uh, that was originally going to be cut and then was added in a supplemental. Um, I would just say that this was a win for community, not just the council or not just the mayor. Uh, The leading driver on this was young people showing up, Uh, being persistent, holding us accountable, and refusing to let it go. Young people like Samira Franklin from Biop, young people like the folks I used to work with at Intersection, like Communities United, all of these groups uh, came to City Hall. um, And then at the end, in sort of the final hearing that we held on the Education Committee, Mark, we had over 600 people come out to advocate for these programs. And so I think... Part of the media narrative has been this was a moment of unity for the council, and this was a big win. Um, I just want to push that win back onto our communities because I think that they drove so much of this action. Um, and you know, to Councilman Scott's point, uh, you know, government is incremental. This was not perfect. I would not say this was a perfect budget for Baltimore. But I do think it showed a sense of unity between the council and the communities we serve. I think that Mayor Pugh came to the table and listened. Um, And I think that we have something to build off right now, which is that young people were prioritized in the way we thought about this budget.
1: And I I just want to add one thing I would be remiss if I didn't. say that Chairman Costello and, and Vice Chairman Pinkin did a yeoman's job uh, negotiating on behalf of the council. Being on the budget committee, they actually consulted us and talked about things that we, that we thought should be cut or things that we thought should be kept in the budget and they made sure that all those priorities w- were met. And I think that, that, again, it just shows what we can do when a whole city comes together. So let, let me push
0: back a little bit on this. I mean, I respect the three of you a great deal. And the two of you, Zeke Zeke and John Bullock, Zeke Cohen, have been on the show for years before you became members of the city council when you were doing your other parts of your lives and work. And and I was happy that you were both elected. Brandon is the youngest person elected to the city council when when you were elected. Um, You know, have become new voices, which I think is critically important. And you do, for me give me a chance to breathe deeply thinking that the future may get stronger because I think your voices and your passion and where you, your commitment is real. So I'm, uh, having said that, I, as, a, as a person who watches the process, who has been a community organizer and politically active for a good part of his life and spent most of that community organizing and works as a therapist in the poorest communities in the city, I'm not at all happy with this budget. Um, and I'm not saying you could have done much more than you did given the power the council doesn't have. Last year, um, Councilman Henry introduced a bill that the people that you all replaced voted against. I'm pointing to Z Cohen and John Bullock. Um, voted against, which was to give the council more power and put that on the referendum to give the council more power to to, to over, more control over the budget. Mm-hmm. Now, do you, So you can't really do anything until you get that. Mm-hmm. So the question is, do you intend to put that in as a bill for the next... Uh, major elections to be on the ballot in Baltimore to give the council more power to decide the fate of the people of the city as your as, your, as your representatives
1: so I will say uh, that you th- that conversation first must be had with councilman henry's because he, but has, no, he, he you no, can do it too you know, why no, your, bill's great I love bill but you don't no, have to wait, what? bill has first rights on the bill so all right but what I always say and then I say that that I think that you can't just have that mark there's something else that needs to be had and something that my colleagues and I have talked to, my, especially that? my new colleagues, about that. I think that even maybe simultaneously or even before, in my opinion, Mark, we also need to have a independent budget office, right? Because even if the council today, let's just say last week we had the, the, the power of power the budget, right? right. Still, we're still going to be getting numbers from a an organization or agency that is resp- is is responsible to the mayor and they're never going to say anything that the mayor's office doesn't want them to say I think that it has to be a dual thing it's something I've spoken to Bill Henry about and I think that both of them will have to happen simultaneously and I know that sounds crazy no, for it's some, not crazy so I, for someone be. that wants to be mayor no. but it has to it has to happen at the same time in order for the plan field to be truly balanced for the council it's the
0: only way it's going to work They yeah. have to be on the ballot it seems to me
2: so so I'll, I'll I'll agree with uh with <laughs> what councilman Scott said you know uh, part of the challenge. Uh, Part of the challenge with the budget process and, you know, the mayor's office, the council president, the council members will all admit that one of the sticking points in this budget process was the operations of the uh, the, the Budget uh, Management Bureau. And so we need to really work on that and, and, and uh, solidify what their job is to do and who they're accountable to. And they need to be accountable to, to, the, to the council as well. The other thing, and, and I know uh, we're happy, Councilman Cohen and I are happy to support uh, folks like uh, Councilman Scott, because quite frankly, in the last council, you had a council that voted against its own interests mm. in terms of gaining power. Mm. So we're talking about uh, you know, being able to move money around in the budget, but also the, 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 the threshold in terms of overriding a mayoral veto. Right. I mean, so oftentimes what's happened is folks will say, you know, they'll pass the buck and say, hey, we don't have the power to do it. But then when you offer or or you have the opportunity to seize that power to do it, folks have then turned that down. So there are a whole host of things. And so I agree with uh, our colleague here.
0: Zeke, before we hit the phones here, Zeke Cohen.
3: Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's right. I mean, I respect my colleagues on this council tremendously. Uh, We have brilliant people like Brandon Scott and John Bullock, and I do trust their ability to manage and negotiate budget allocations. Um, You know, I do not think the outcomes of the strong mayor system are where our city deserves to be right now. And I do think that what I've seen is that the council over the last, and this is not a knock on our current mayor or any mayor, but that the council has been put in this position of negotiating for a really ridiculously small amount of money if you think about it. I mean two point five eight million dollars and one point five for safe streets, that is a tiny little fraction of the budget. Why shouldn't we have the right to put those priorities where they belong? I, I would fully support Councilman Henry's move to uh Give us the power to add money to the budget as well as to lower the threshold for a mayoral veto. Um, I respect these guys enough to know that they would do the right thing.
0: So I'm a, I'm open the phones here. Then I have a bu- bunch of questions here. Uh, our three councilmen are with us till the top of the hour. Join us here at 410 319 8888. You can email us at org. tweet us at Mark Steiner, but do join in. 410-319-8888. Let's go to Leo in Bolton Hill. You're on the air. Welcome.
4: Yes, good morning, Mark Steiner.
0: Leo Burroughs. And
4: everybody, how you doing?
1: <laughs> All right. hey, Mr. I, Leo, how are you, sir?
4: I'm very unhappy about the current the status quo, but let me ask these questions and you guys can answer. Uh, when will the Baltimore City public school employees who were fired... They say they were laid off. When are they going to be returned to duty? I know you know that answer because you have political influence and you're lobbying the school board and the state legislatures and the Greater Baltimore Committee, who have the money to balance the budget in ways that are not balanced on the backs of poor and middle class. My other question is: drug confiscations, drug and gun seizures. Who certifies the the uh, the the confiscation and destruction of of uh, cocaine and other items, drugs that are seized, the incineration of those things. And do you have a handle on the fact that we're getting reports that they go in the door, in the front door of the police department, in some cases they go out the back door. What can you tell us with specificity about the drugs and guns that are destroyed that are seized? And what about our schools? What, when, when are we going to get our people?
0: What happened? What, what, we lost Leo. I don't, know how we lost Leo I, was, I don't know what happened, but I'm uh, – Zeke, ahead, sure, Zeke so me,
3: Let me start with the schools. Uh, so we came into this year facing an $130 million deficit in our school system. And what I appreciate about the work that Dr. Santelises did was that she showed in no uncertain terms – that this funding shortage was about inequity, not about uh, fiscal mismanagement, which I think is one of the persistent myths that we deal with a lot in this city, is that we say, oh, you know, money's constantly going missing from the school system. That is not the case. They were audited by Clifton Larson Allen, which is a reputable firm, uh, and no fiscal mismanagement was found. This is about inequity and denying funds to a system that largely serves children of color. Uh, the state's own MSEA did an adequacy study and found that the state of Maryland is shortchanging Baltimore City schools by about $290 million per year since 2012, which dwarfs the $130 million that we were swabbling over. So again, this to me, that is what race, racial violence looks like is it is the systemic denial of funds to kids in a school system that is largely children of color. I was so proud to see a battle for school funds that crossed racial lines, crossed ethnic lines. It was everybody fighting together and saying that our public schools deserve adequate funding. And I'm proud to say that we were, through the council, through the mayor, through our delegates in Annapolis, we were able to restore most of that deficit, I think, in the end. The school system laid between 30 and 40 teachers off, and I think it was a total of 140 layoffs throughout the system. Uh, to me, that represents a moment of unity where we all put our individual interests aside and said we cannot have our school system collapse under its own weight. Um, and let me be clear, Leo, no amount of layoffs is acceptable. Our schools are already strapped. We already have teachers, and I was one myself, that teach Forty kids in a classroom plus, which is unsafe and not good for learning. Uh, So the conversation should really be about how do we increase funds for our schools, not how do we battle to keep them levelly funded. Um, We are going to be working closely with Dr. Santelises on the education committee to see how we can restore those positions that were cut.
1: So, and I'll, I'll take the other one, I guess.
0: Sure, go right ahead. So, just so, Leo,
1: to Leo's other point, um, we there is a process for which the guns are taken and evidence is taken, and guns are actually eventually ultimately melted down, they're actually done. Outside of Baltimore, they take them in, and take them out. And I remember a few years ago, uh, Ms. Trueheart asked if she could actually go out there to see that process happen, and we're going to try to set that up. But that does happen, and we know that the other, the other evidence is destroyed as well.
0: So let me just say, this is a little aside, but yeah. it's something we tried to get. I try to get traction for that never happened. Let me just throw it out to you. We're not going to talk about it now, but I want to put it out in the airwaves. So there was, there was a, an artist in the city who came to me with a brilliant idea. And our brilliant idea was supposing you took all the guns that were confiscated in the city of Baltimore, had them melted down, and turned them into garden tools for urban city gardens. Hmm. That peop- and, and, you, and you teach young people how to garden. You teach them how to make the tools. You teach them how to do the entire process from beginning to end. And you do something positive with it. It's like, it's like literally building. It's, it's, it's the plowshares from the Bible, yeah. right? And I thought that was a brilliant idea. We can about about that. I just with, want to throw that out there. Life of a tool of death. And I think that could be just symbolically, it could do share. something yeah. for the soul of the city, mm. if nothing else. Anyway, so before we go to the phones here. So in the, 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 Clarence, the next caller, we're going to come to your of 410-319-8888. We've talked about the budget on this program for months now. Uh, and with this rise in murders uh, and shootings and violence in our city, we've been focusing on that a lot. And some of the conversations we've had here, even though the Greater Baltimore Committee doesn't agree, and you all might not agree as well, but I want to hear what you really think beyond how mm-hmm. you voted and what you thought you had to do to get the budget through and get things done in the council. Should the city police budget be cut and that money reinvested in other public safety measures, whether it's safe streets, whether it's inside of our communities, uh, finding other ways to. Oops, sorry, man. There's that button right there. Um, so, so, uh, in our communities, um, to invest money in different ways, mm-hmm. other than just policing, we cannot police our way out of this. Many people would argue right. yep. that that the amount of money we spend on our police is and, and 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 B the audit about overtime has never taken place. It's not taking place. Um, and how the police are spending the money? Nobody's auditing the police department like they audit the school system. Nobody's auditing the police department. So, I mean, what are your real thoughts on whether it should be, whether or not, whether you have the power to change at this moment or not? I want to know what you think.
2: Well, let me let me jump in, and then I'll you know, pa- Bullock, you know pass to, uh, to to Councilman Sky as he's uh, your chair of uh, public safety. You know, I, I I certainly understand the sentiment and the reality that this is not uh, a problem that you can police your way out of. But we also have a challenge in terms of having officers available for service on the streets as it currently is. And so one of the things that we deal with, and I represent, you know, West and Southwest Baltimore, you know, we have some severe uh, challenges as it relates to, you know, to gun violence, to other types of violence, and making sure that we have folks on on the streets. The reality, though, is that we also have, you mentioned the overtime issue. Part of that challenge is is, is, um, uh, contingent on the fact that we have so many officers who are actually doing administrative work and so now you don't have enough officers on the street and so then you wind up having the overtime issue that's that's part of it the other challenge that, that we deal with when we talk about reducing the police budget the question has to be where and what is cut because when I you know, get calls like this morning I did from, you know, from, uh, from command staff or when I get calls from folks uh, in the community say, hey, we need more presence on our streets. We need to see you know, more of this. So that's part of it. The other thing is a reality. We do need to invest in education. It was part of the reason why there was such a big push about, about safe streets, about, uh, you know, about the school system, and about uh, you know, after-school programs. That is, that is a reality. But it's not going to happen overnight. And there's also a mindset. Within our community that has to change. I know uh, Councilman Scott. Even aside from the work he does on the council, the work in the community has been so important. What we do in terms of mentorship and community building and all of that, because there's there, there's there's a certain sickness in our community where we're seeing this le- this level of violence. And you know, uh, one of the things we can recognize is that you know we know that oftentimes police don't necessarily stop. Violence. They respond to it. Exactly. there have to be some community uh, work that has to be done. There's a lot of intersectionality. Thinking about the work that Councilman Cohen has done over the years, we have to look at our nonprofit sector, who's running nonprofits, where, where resources going. I do look at the Youth Fund um, that Council President has, has put in place, and I think that is a great start toward putting some real investment, real dollars behind these issues. And that's why I was so proud that the that the Council had uh, unanimously supported that because that gives us the, the latitude to then put some of those resources into the areas that you're speaking of.
0: So, so we should take a, okay, no, Do that, then we'll take a break, go ahead.
1: So this is my response to response to that question. The, the answer, sensible answer is yes. We know that that has to happen, but my personal opinion is that we have to have a balanced approach over time because you can't just do it in one big swipe. And also I would say that it has been happening, although folks have not known. What's been happening? So if you look at it, for example, when I was first elected in 2011, uh, Baltimore Police had 3,100 officers they now it's now down to basically between 2500 and 2700 but the, but the is budget it,
0: is higher but the you, you have money to get is more
1: I, you gotta ex- you gotta ex- understand a few things right one we have to understand inflation and costs of what, all that and also to her credit hold on Mark let me finish I'm not, not gonna Go ahead. Five, the mayor built in a five million dollar cut to their budget this year so if it were not for mayor Pugh, right And I know sometimes that's weird coming out of my mouth. They would have had $5 million more in their budget this year. So they're making cuts, too. And even though some of those cuts I personally didn't agree with, right? So she says that we're going to cut a million dollars and ground one of the helicopters. I said, why not get rid of the horses? The helicopters are actually useful to the citizens of Baltimore. The horses are not. But I think that and the reason why recently, and you know I don't want to talk about it in detail yet, we're making the call on the council for a comprehensive gun violence reduction strategy is so that we can show folks how we can do that how you can look at the other things how you can go across the other ways because you can't we can't simply police our way out of it but at the same time in some neighborhoods right like the neighborhoods that john represents that shannon represents that robert stokes represents we also just can't go in and say okay we're going to eliminate $50 $50 million at once to the, from the police department because for their neighborhoods, for those people who live on Mount Street, who, who live on Landville in East Baltimore, that would be devastating. We have to have a balanced approach. And over time, I think that we have to look at and come up with a concrete plan of how we're going to do that. Or for us, we should suggest how we're going to do that over time, how we're we going to balance out the city's budget, how we're we going to expand safe streets. Keep and then expand ceasefire and look at these other programs and models. You know, for Councilman Cohen, how are we going to expand pre K in the city? All these other things have to be looked at. In its totality, and I think that that's what we're not doing at this time. So, we
0: have to get a very short break coming right back, and we're going to go to the phones, that Zeke Cohen jump in as well. Uh, and Melissa, Russ, Clarence, who the next callers up, we have tweets here as well. We're going to read them when we come back. 410 319 is the number here. We are with Councilman Brandon Scott, you just heard, Councilman Z Cohen, and Councilman John Bullock. Stay with us. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner. I'm here with three of our city council representatives. you, uh, Councilman Brandon Scott from the 2nd District, Councilman John Bullock from the 9th District, Councilman Z. Cohen from District 1, and you all at 410-319-8888. Uh, let's go right to the phones if we might. Can we do that? Uh, so Melissa, Bobby, Rusk, Clarence, in that order. Let me read this tweet. I was about to put two 2 of glasses on. I couldn't see a thing. Let me put those <laughs> over there. Uh, so <laughs> uh, even though what we're doing about today is not a laughing matter. Uh, Melissa... Uh, tweeted in we are funneling eighteen million dollars the Baltimore Police Department. where are the outcomes from the previous investments in the war room um, and from and from strategy to strategy without data without without outcome data without oversight of the police department without long standing community engagement she writes so and this and I think that's these are really important things that you just put out there um, uh, i 'll get to equal justice 's uh, tweet in a minute but You want to make a quick comment, Zeke, before we hit the phone? Because I want to get these people on the air.
3: Yeah, I would sort of second Melissa's point, uh, which is to say that I think the lurching from strategy to strategy has not been helpful. I think that part of our task as legislators is to look at outcomes in a budget and see whether the expenditure um, justifies the outcomes. Right now, when I look at the totality of our budget, when I see how much we are spending on police, um, and when I see a lack of clarity around the strategy within the agency, within the department, um, I am deeply concerned. I'm of the belief that until we deal with the deep concentration of poverty in our communities, that violence and crime are not going away anyway.
0: And we can't do that if we do giveaways like Port Covington.
3: Well, I would just say that, again... Investing so in I the neighborhoods. Say every I get in, it needs to be said and heard. Investing in the neighborhoods that need <laughs> investment needs to be our strategy. Uh, you know, Mark, I would echo the point that we can't keep throwing money um, when we're not seeing outcomes, and right now the outcomes are terrible and unacceptable. Um, and I think that addressing the root causes of violence and crime um, is more important in some ways than putting the band-aid on the bullet wound and just having more officers and this is not a knock on police but it is to say that i think a focus on housing like i see coming out of my friend dr bullock over here um, and dealing with our lack of truly affordable housing is critically important dealing with lead paint, which we know contributes to violence. Is critically important dealing with institutions like Safe Streets that Councilman Scott has so vociferously advocated for, that have shown a 27 percent reduction in shootings in the neighborhood that they're deployed. To me, that is smart investment. That's using public dollars wisely. And, and I,
0: mean, I would just let me just. Say, I really want to get the phones. A lot of people are calling in. So just
1: yeah. No, and I would just add to to Melissa's point that everything she said about oversight is what the council's been fighting for. Right. We know that in Annapolis I led the charge for the city police department to become a state agency a state agency agency, a state agency right we also uh, actually in the midst of the budget on, on Monday, we actually passed a bill that now we're going to have a commission, a uh, community policing commission that we also tried to pass in Annapolis that was killed by the administration, uh, so that now we're going to have a group of citizens picked by the council president who are going to sit and prepare a report for community policing, because that's the thing, kind of things that we need in the city.
0: So let me get to the phones here, 410 319 Bobby in Santown, you're on the air. Hello? Good morning, Bobby. You're on the air.
5: Good morning, it's Bobby.
0: Bobby, I'm, uh-huh. hey Bobby, how you doing? It's yes, Bobby. Sir, on my, how you doing? I'm good, Bobby.
5: No, let, let me start, let me start from this premise. I've buried two sons within a year. I'm also the whistleblower at the Baltimore City Housing Authority. And I'm confused because it smells like and sounds like the same stuff with our politicians protecting Graziano. Why isn't the politician asking for Kevin Davis to be immediately terminated and the Department of Justice take over? Now, I have been very quiet about the murder of my two sons. Now I'm getting frustrated, and now I'm going to start telling what I know that been going on in the Baltimore City Police Department related to the murder murdered of my two sons, one in broad daylight. Now, let's be perfectly honest. The police in West Baltimore have quit on the citizens in West Baltimore and no one wants to seem to talk about that. One of your councilperson will agree when they mention housing and let paint for that is correlation but if you check my record for 20 years I have been speaking about these ills in the crooked corrupt police department that's supposed to serve and protect the citizens of Baltimore City now I'm not gonna get off that I'm gonna listen but we need to stop talking and we need to make changes because something is terribly broke when over a hundred and sixty young men and women are being murdered in the city of Baltimore. I don't want to hear retaliation. I want someone brought to justice. Thank you very
0: much. Bobby, thank you. Okay. Councilman?
2: Uh, Sir, so I just wanted to say, you know, as, a, as the father of the two sons, you know, I, I deeply uh, feel and um, understand your loss and that's a terrible thing for any parent to have to go through. So just first wanted to get that out of the way. Um, you know, what you're saying, and this is something that's been a narrative that has happened since the unrest has been the talk about what the police have been doing and have not been doing in, in certain communities. Um, I know it's the, it's the mayor's prerogative as it relates to, uh, uh, to Commissioner Davis, and I know uh, Councilman Scott uh, uh, will have some thoughts on this. But the challenge that, that we're dealing with is we can't make this entirely a police issue. So on one hand, we're having this conversation about about the police budget and about you know reducing you know uh, uh, police in in, so, in some ways, and then we're talking about what does the strategy look like. So I know there has to be a coordinated strategy to deal with this, right? So we're looking at what is the what are the police doing in terms of uh, dealing with this? I know they've talked about going to twelve hour shifts, but there has to be something larger to this. Um, even and I agree also with what Councilman Cohen mentioned in terms of in the environmental conditions that are also contributing uh, to uh, to violent behavior and to low educational. T- Payment and all the things are around that. But we have to. And I encourage you when you said about telling what's going on. If you know something, tell something. That's the thing I tell folks in the community. If you know something, you see something, you tell because that's what we need. We need the information out there because, quite frankly, we're looking at some of this coming out of our communities. And we have to also stand and be men and women in our communities and be the guardians of our communities. Because, honestly, it's not the police that are coming in and doing this. The, these, these are folks that, that we know or may know of. And I know that there are also folks who also feel as if they can't tell because look at what happened to the young lady who's also dealing with the police. So I recognize it is a challenging uh, situation.
0: So let me go back to the phone. channel. everybody wants to jump in, but there's a lot of people called in. I'm to let them get their voices out here. 410 319 Let us go to Melissa. You're on the air.
6: I wanted to say thank you to Councilman Cohen and uh, his colleagues for their support of the community school's work um, since it literally saved my daughter um, but but second I, I wanted to ask um, so I read the story about the eighteen million dollars going up the police for overtime um, and you know we had to really scrap and fight for the two point million for community schools. It's pretty unfortunate, especially since community schools have a known return on investment, and policing at least thus far doesn't. So I'm wondering if the council would be interested in supporting more money for safe streets since those workers are city residents. They live in our communities, unlike the vast majority of our police. And so the economic and social impact of funding safe streets, similar to funding community schools, would probably be more localized and alleviate some of the poverty and other conditions that the councilmen are speaking
1: of today yeah i i think that Brandon Melissa, Scott again and thank you and i'm so glad that your daughter is okay uh the response yep. to that is yes right first and foremost uh we the council didn't decide to walk away from safe streets that was a, the administration decision and we have made sure and i have made, been clear about this that this year was the last time that we we're going to be talking about just keeping safe streets as is we need to have Nine of these, at least, so that we have one in every police district. And what we're saying is, and what I'm saying is leading to next year's budget, is that unless we're talking about expanding state streets by at least two sites, it's off the table for me. We have to start expanding these type of models that work and figure out how we can fund them both. Publicly and through private investment, because that's what has to happen with Safe Streets, is a very unique type of program. And that's where we are with this. And I know that many of my colleagues will agree. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Right. Right. And the health budget of the city, just real quickly, for everybody, the health fund budget in the city is hardly funded at all by the city.
1: No, it's, it's mostly. all funded by grants and
0: federal and state and money. And federal
1: and state money. Ironically, but, you know, the state agency that the city controls is totally funded by the city. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and <laughs> for and the point about grants, grants go away, so we have to have a city commitment to this. Especially things. under Trump. 4-
0: yes. 319 let us go to... Uh, so many people calling in. Let's go to Rush. You're on the air. Welcome. Hi, Rush. you there. Welcome. Is Rush there? Russia went away. Okay, let's go to Clarence. You're on the air. Hey, Mr. Steiner, can you hear me? Yes, so? we can.
7: Um, you know, here I go, Mr. Steiner. Um, to Mr. Scott, I view the city council as being culpable, you know, know, please, please just bear with me (coughs) as being responsible for all the murders that have occurred in the city. And why do I say such a thing? We have a police department where, as the gentleman Bubby said, have quit. Now in the context of what he said, when he said that he's opinion based on observation, but when you have police officers who tell the public that we're not stopping anybody asking for id anymore all we do is push the drug dealers from tell them don't do it here we move them from corner to corner we don't ask for ids we're not doing our job when they admit that to the public then that's actionable by the administration by the by the city council that is actionable and requires immediate action that's not you know an opinion of the public they right. have told the public this so uh, okay so what should your
0: response to that be? So, Clarence, let, let me add to that. But the, but the other part of that, Clarence, is that you and many others, and myself included, will also say on this program that the police stop every young black citizen in the city, harassing them, asking them for ID, putting them against the wall. So we've got to figure out a strategy that is different but protects our citizens and doesn't continue to harass young black folks in the city. I mean, there's got to be a way to
1: do this. So, and Clarence, my, my, my first response to you would be that, listen— I've been clear that I think that there has to be changes to the strategy and that what we're doing isn't working. But I also remind you that the city council's power over the police department is extremely limited. It is the only city. "Quote unquote city agency that we cannot legislate on. They don't respond to us. They're not responsible to us. They're responsible to the state of Maryland. And until that changes, we can just be a voice. We are a voice, and we can do what we can do through the budget, and we can hold him. But with and the consent decree and and with I was going to get to that. And with the consent decree, listen, it's not a we, we cannot think that we're going to go and lock up a whole bunch of people, and that's going to reduce crime. If you look at 2011, the year that Baltimore had its lowest amount of homicides versus 1999 or 2001 or any year that we were under zero tolerance, there was significantly less arrests in 2011 and significantly less homicides. The truth is, it's not about how many people you lock up, it's who you lock up. And that's where we're failing right now. We are not arresting the people with the guns. We are not arresting people that are committing the crimes. I don't care if they're arresting people for loitering and all of this drinking outside, all of this stupid stuff that we arrested people for in the late 90s and early 2000s that led to this break in mistrust from the community. But those gentlemen with the guns... Those people that are robbing people, that are carjacking women, that are assaulting women and shooting them and killing them and murdering them, we should be arresting them. And that's what needs to happen. And that's why there needs to be a change from the administration on how they're going to conduct this strategy because right now it's not working.
0: 410-319-8888 is number here. Let's go back to the phones and let us go to uh, Miss Williams. You're on the air. Good
5: morning. Good
0: morning. I'd
5: like to um, question everybody who knows about crime in Baltimore City, from um, Brandon Scott there, to the mayor, the late mayor, Jackie Tree, when she was a senator, um, the new police commission, um, President Jack Young, the Edgewood Road and the two two one two on they only sell drugs there in the middle of the street. The neighbors have done their part, but Baltimore City is not doing their part we paying all these
0: officers overtime for what? What? How do you overtime when you don't do your job? So, okay, you want, I was going to... We have our in a minute, but go ahead.
2: No, I was going to say, you know, I, I recognize your challenge. You know, one of the things that we deal with in, in west and southwest Baltimore, we have a significant uh, amount of drug activity and some of it's open air one of the challenges we deal with is that we'll have you know citizens call, we'll have our office call and by the time the police get there, they may not be there, they may come back and you have this issue over and over again. The reality is we have a drug market in the city, we have an underground market and we can talk all day about you know uh, crime enforcement, but we also look at even larger strategies that are out of our bailiwick as it relates to legalization and all types of other things and also treating uh, drugs as not only a criminal justice issue but then also at, as a health issue and it's also an employment issue because we have have, these are cyclical patterns. We're having people who, are, who have gotten involved in the criminal justice system, who may not be able to find uh, uh, decent employment, who wind up in this cycle of recidivism over and over and over again. We have young people who don't have opportunities, mm. middle-aged people who are still engaged in this process. And then we also have people who, who, are, who are speaking out and some people who are not speaking out. So, again, it's, it's, a, it's a policing issue, but oftentimes what they are doing is chasing from one place to another because the market still exists. And as long as that market exists, people are going to try to access
3: it. Yeah, and and, and I would, you know, just echo my colleague to say that, you know, I think part of the challenge is that we really have to stop having the conversation around crime and public safety divorced from the conversation around poverty and how it continues to persist in so many of our communities. And to me, that that is a political choice that we consistently make. This conversation cannot just be about. Police strategy, what's the right strategy, what's the wrong strategy? It needs to be about us and the choices we made. So, for example, I would say that the choice to not pass a $15 minimum wage was anti-poor and will contribute to crime and violence in our city. I am deeply disappointed to some of my colleagues that were going to support that and then chose not to. I think that as a council, when we make those types of decisions, we say to people that we're speaking out of both sides of our mouth. We're going to talk about crime and violence and we're going to condemn that, but we're not going to facilitate uplift, which is about wages. And I would just say one more point on that, which is that I saw in this big school budget fight, thousands of people come out of their shell and fight and stand up and be part of their democracy. I did not see that on minimum wage. I think that the, school, the public school issue touched people across racial and socioeconomic lines. It was a truly diverse coalition that came out to help close that gap. I didn't see that with minimum wage. And so I think that there's a responsibility that those of us have that have some privilege and power to speak out not just about the issues that impact us and our kids, but about the issues that impact people in other parts of the city. We need to be in this together. We need to be unified. We need to be fighting against poverty and racism and segregation, and it needs to be consistent. Thank
0: you. 410 319 Let's go to Randy. You're on the air. Welcome. Good morning.
8: Good morning, Randy. Would anyone on the panel have information about how Baltimore stacks up in comparison with Montgomery County or Northern Virginia Public Schools, some really outstanding school districts, um, in terms of what we're offering to kids who are emotionally disturbed, who are um, not learning? Who are attending school causing disruptions because I've observed in northern Virginia a model um, program for working with kids who otherwise would be in trouble and they and, and the emphasis was on socialization it's so basic but so important and if we don't advocate for the kids who don't have the ability to go to school and keep their mind on not destroying the building then we're going to come out to our cars, they're demolished, The tires are cut. You know, this is our city. We, we know what the problem is. We have kids who are coming out of hell, mm-hmm. and they get to school and they demonstrate what they've learned in the street or wherever they've come from You know, on the way to school, and the teachers can't deal with it. So unless we're going to really make a noise about getting the kids first rate, not second and third rate, advocacy for their needs, whatever those needs are going to be. We need to find some money to get those kids focused and squared away so that they, right. feel, they feel that their mental hygiene has been met. Otherwise, you know, they're reflecting what is going on inside them and we're trying to say it's a police problem.
0: It's not. Randy, I appreciate that call. And, and Zeke, let me just, then you all can comment mm-hmm. as well. We get back to the phones here, tries to get the lines slammed, I wish which we had two hours here today for this conversation. Um, that's a real issue. Yep. I mean, they, we don't. Nobody takes into account how traumatized yep. a lot of our children in city schools are.
3: No, that's right. And I think part of the challenge in the political discourse around schools and school funding is that we make the mistake sometimes when we look at how much money we're spending per child in a place like Baltimore uh, compared to other districts, and we say, "Well, Baltimore is getting all this money per kid. What's going on with that?" But what Baltimore has that Howard County, Montgomery County, and other places do not have is areas of deeply concentrated poverty, which we know from all the data and research produces poor academic outcomes. Right. And so the reason why Baltimore needs and I would say needs more money per child is to address exactly what the caller was speaking of, which is the trauma, which is the violence that our children witness, which is the things that go on in neighborhoods that trickle their way into schools like the school I used to teach in in Sandtown, where if you were honest if, if we were honest as a community, we would say close to 90 percent of these kids have been highly traumatized and have been witness to violence. Um, it is why I am such an advocate for the community schools model, because I think that community schools recognizes that the bridge between our children and the communities that they live in is real and that we need to utilize the assets that are already there and build off of them. It is a strength-based model. It has shown remarkable results as Melissa lifted up. Uh, The school in my district I talk about a lot, Wolf Street Academy, went from being ranked the 77th in Baltimore to the second best after becoming a community school. And that's because parents were able to get English language classes. Kids were able to get glasses and tutoring and after-school programming. This model is successful. It's not about union busting or anything else. And I think, again, when we talk about outcomes-based budgeting, that's the type of model that we should lift up and that can deal with some of the trauma that our children face. I'll,
2: I'll just quickly um, add you know, what we're looking at in terms of school. So you know, my wife used to teach in a school that had a high uh, population of mostly disturbed, and, and, and part of that really has to do with the trauma in our neighborhoods. Again, we look at high rates of violence, poverty, uh, unemployment, and underemployment, all those things that come about. Um, one of the things you look at is really look at these individual education uh, programs, IEPs. That's part of it. But then the other part, and I would lift up something that, uh, you know, a school in, in my district, Cell Academy at Francis M. Wood High School, where Councilman Scott was a commencement speaker. I was a speaker as well at their graduation. And we're talking about a school that has a young people who are on an alternative path because of some of the challenges in their life. You're looking at folks who have wound up um, involved in the criminal justice system, even the fact that in their graduating class, several of the students had been killed this year. Six. right right and so so this, so this is like a, a serious issue with and we're talking about just one school and you and I've gone in that school and talked to you know to the principal uh, miss Woodhouse is doing a fantastic job but also we're talking about having social workers in the school having these counselors that's a real uh, a real important thing having that um uh that that therapy in those schools and they're doing a great job but they need more in terms of resources and quite frankly one of the people who was affected by the layoffs was one of the um the resource uh teachers at
0: that school so let me go back folks right back to Brandon Scott And the other council people, four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. Let's maybe there's a tweet. uh, Theodore Bracia tweeted in. I really like uh, need to get their police out of car. Mm-hmm. i really like baltimore, baltimore police need to get out of their cars and interact with citizens they paid they're paid to patrol and amen to that we'll, yep. we'll tackle that in a moment let me go to the phone first kim truehart has called in i think because you called her name out and she wanted to say something oh good kim go ahead we only have a minute left so please tell okay, us what you Mark. want
9: to say good morning. morning i just wanted to clarify that i have never witnessed
1: yep I, know, that's what I that's what that's yeah. what i said mr Hill, that they, that you asked to go actually see that and then when they told us that was in virginia I remember yeah. that conversation.
9: Yeah, but I've never done it. No,
1: I know. Yeah, I know.
9: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, the, and the other thing is there is a new initiative that the University of Maryland is doing around peer advocacy for traumatized families in our school. And we're going to be one of the first sites where we, the community people, get trained to help our families um, navigate through this trauma is that school 64 yeah liberty yeah yeah 64 and so we had a wonderful meeting with the university of maryland yesterday right. and so we're going to take the rest of the summer to get trained so that in the fall when our kids come back we can be that advocate for them
0: so right? we'll, we'll we, we we'll uh, can get into that when you get back on the show here and that's that's, that's the elementary school i went to yeah. oh yes sir <laughs> <laughs> just, just to y'all
1: have a good day you too, we'll see you later mr okay. hart yeah. <laughs> Uh, just to get back to the young lady's point, she's absolutely right. And I know that, you know, I spend probably hours every day out on the street uh, talking with our police officers, being out there trying to See, be. A- a- Theodore Brace was a man. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, a multiplying force. And yes, we do need them to be out of their cars more. But I will tell people that there is a elephant in the room that we still are not fi- finished talking about. The number one driver for police overtime this year again was that we had a failed police commissioner in anthony bats who decided had this genius idea of putting the police schedule in their days off inside the contracts so that now a commander can't power can't he's, he's, he's lost his power mm-hmm. so when you when you're having and they're already working 10-hour shifts and you're having to hold over people for overtime or draft people for overtime every day just to meet your basic minimum you're not going to have the resources to do that. And the hope is that the administration and the FOP get that contract re- done really quickly so that the commanders can have the autonomy to do those kind of things. So I'm going to get back to
0: the phones here. And let me just also say that in response to that, that people need to reread the No Boundaries Report. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Police need to get out of their cars. But the biggest thing in the No Boundaries Report was the verbal abuse people feel yep. from not every police officer but too many police in the yep. city. So you can get out of car, but you got to be part of the community, not verbally abuse the citizens yep. of this community.
1: And I'll add that No Boundaries is a big supporter of the commission that we just started. Mm-hmm.
0: Do, they do good work. 410-319-8888. Let's try to get a couple calls on you before the end of the hour. Miss Daphne, you're on the air. Welcome. Good morning,
9: everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Miss Daphne for Mothers, Emerging Sons, and Daughters. How you doing? I'm
1: Brandon. Hey, ma'am. How are you?
9: Um, you know, our goal is, and it should be, to keep, keep moms from coming to an organization such as mine. However, I've been out here 10 years, and I've been hearing these same strategies and these yep. same talks. And it's, and our organization is just growing, growing, and growing. Huh. And w- what I have found out, we keep having all these conversations. We're not finishing anything. It's, there's nothing being finished. We have an organization that said, let us use, our, use the mom, use our stories. Let us go into the communities and in the schools and talk with these youth and share our stories and tell these kids what not to do, and we've been blocked from everywhere. Because we, the mother, we have the ultimate answers, you know, within us, if people would just use the grassroots organizations and let let our voices be heard. What greater pain is that? Everybody's traumatized in the whole city. Everybody. This has affected everybody. So you, the people that's out here doing the groundwork, it's not always about money and the city council and the police and the mayor. No, the community has to take care of itself sometimes. Mm-hmm. It has to. We have to bring it back to the forefront, where it all started from. We have got to get back to really basic. It's not money and stuff. It's like, let's be proactive. We know what's wrong. Where are the solutions? And when are we going to put them into place?
0: I Mr. Mean, Deffen, just about out of time, so we really have like a minute left, a literal minute. Literally, I'll just
2: I'll just—I'll echo what you said. Uh, ma'am, I was with one of your um, your fellow members of your group, unfortunately, last week and looking at a, a vigil uh, for someone who was murdered in, in our streets of Baltimore, West Baltimore. So I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you that it has to be a community solution. So we can look at the police, we can look at the budget, we can look at education, but also it initially starts from the community. So I agree with you.
0: This, this has been a great conversation. Hey, let me thank our, our council people for being here and, and uh, having uh, this very honest discussion with the citizens of our city. Uh, and we look forward to having many more of these, at least for the time I got left. To yes, doing sir. This on thank this you for meeting. the show. Yes. Uh, so with that, Councilman Ben Scott, District 2, Councilman Z Cohen, District 1, Councilman John Bullock, District 9. Good to have the three of you with us. And thank you all for calling in. I'm sorry. Samantha and some of the teachers that just called in, if you hold on and uh, or write to us at Market. Uh, Talk at steinershow.org. We want to hear your thoughts about education. And since you are all off, we want to get some teachers on the air in the next week to talk about their experiences. Samantha, uh, don't hang up. Uh, A producer is going to pick up the line, get your information. We're going to call you and the other teachers back and have a roundtable of teachers during the summer. So we'll be here to hear everything you have to say. Take a short break and come back. We're with Attorney General Brian Frosh, to talk about why he's suing Donald Trump. Stay with us.